Open your Bibles, if you would, to John 18. I use a New King James Version Bible because that's the only holy anointed word of God. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. There's lots, lots, lots of good versions out there. That's the one I just happen to have gotten trained in and, and I'm stuck in it. So that's the one I'm going to stick with and I like it. So if you want to be word for word, I'm in a New King James Version. Um, if you don't, you like other translations, go for it. Knock yourself out. Hey, so we've been studying a, a sermon that Jesus gave or a discourse that we've been calling. I've been saying it every Sunday, so I know you guys know it by now, but it's called the Upper Room Discourse. And, and we've just left the Upper Room, and even though the entire message of Jesus, it happens in John 13 and John 14 and John 15, 16, 17. And though, even though he, he leaves, at the end of John 14, the last verse, Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here. And where are they at? They're in the room where they had the Last Supper, and they arise and they, 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 they go out. And where are they headed? Eventually, they're going to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Judas is going to come with the garrison of soldiers, and he's going to betray Jesus with a kiss. And that's right where we are in these last 48 hours of Jesus' life. Now, as Jesus gets to the Garden, and, and we don't know exactly hour for hour, but we can put it pretty close. So I think last week we set up a time frame that, again, it varies by a couple hours this way or that way. No way to know for sure. But Jesus would have got to the Garden of, of Gethsemane in the evening sometime, maybe 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And then sometime late in the night, midnight, um, the soldiers showed up to arrest Jesus. Jesus would have told the disciples to watch and pray with me. Do you remember that? And the three disciples, he took James, John, and Peter, and he pulled them aside, and he told the disciples to pray with them. And, he, and Jesus would go away, and he would pray the most famous prayer we know in the Bible of Jesus. And he would say, Father, if there's any other way that people can get saved besides me going to the cross and shedding my blood, let's go with that plan. And then he, and then he finished all three of the same prayer the same way. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Everybody, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And again, Jesus' prayer was, is there any other thing, any other option on planet earth in the universe that would that would close the gap between God and men that would that would bring God to where he men to where we could fellowship and commune with God in heaven for all of eternity if there's any other thing that will reconcile this crevasse this this gap between men and God and then and then as we know there's there's no other solution there's one mediator between man and God the Lord Christ Jesus the Bible says and so it, it says that Jesus' death on the cross was not an oops. It says that it was foreordained before the foundations of the world. So Jesus knew this day was coming. But yet he prays in the garden. It says that he, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The medical community tells us it's called hematridosis. When the blood vessels and capsules on your skin break and blood intermingles with the sweat and rolls down your face. Jesus must have looked a little scary in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was sweating drops of blood. And so his face would have been red and white as he was sweating and, and blood was coming down. The Bible says that God sent angels into the Garden of Gethsemane to minister to Jesus. And, and again, this is a little ad lib on my part, but I see the Father in heaven whose heart is breaking, watching his son, who's so distressed. Now, I don't know that any of us have experienced the level of concern and distress that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Has anybody um, experienced because of 
of a situation in your life or stress, hematidosis, where, where the blood vessels began to burst, um, the capillaries began to burst on, on your, in your sweat glands. And I, I mean, and this is the condition Jesus was in. The Father in heaven is, is watching this scene, and he says to his angels, go to the garden and minister to my son. Go to him, go to him. And so the angels come. Eventually, the soldiers show up. And because where they were on the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a, it's a mountain with a valley in the middle called the Kidron Valley. It's the Temple Mount on this side, or Mount Zion. It's the Mount of Olives on this side, or where the Garden of Gethsemane was with the Kidron Valley in the middle. The Kidron Valley would have been full of the blood of lambs because it was Passover. And Josephus tells us that at this time, they would sacrifice 250 lambs at the time of Passover. And, and the, the system would have, would have drained the blood into the Kidron Valley. Very possible that when Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley, that, the, the, that his robe would be dipped in the blood of these lambs as he entered the Garden of Gethsemane to begin this time of prayer. And they would have seen... The, the lights, because it says that they came with torches and lanterns and swords and a garrison of soldiers as they were coming down. At the very least, 200 soldiers, at the very most, 600 um, in this group, plus all of the Jews that accompanied them, Judas Iscariot and the entourage of the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisees, and they come, and you would have seen them making their way. And as they get there, they say, they say are you Jesus? And do you remember last week what Jesus told them? He said, I am, ego a me. And what happened? The entire group, everyone there, including these, these soldiers and the Jewish entourage that was with them, it says the Bible says they all fell back under the power of God when Jesus said, ego a me. The ego a me is I am God. I, seen a, 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 I see it often, actually. I'll just tell you, I see it often. But I seen an interview um, with Frank Turek, and, and, and he's a Bible apologist and other and, and, and oftentimes a Muslim um, will come on and will say, Can't, why did Jesus not make one unequivocal statement that he was God in the Bibles? You can't open your Bible and show me just one straight up statement where Jesus said, I am God. And that's what they claim, but it's far from the truth. It's multiple and many times in the word of God where Jesus claims to be God. And the very fact that the, that the people of his day knew in John chapter 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, go on me. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnation of God himself. So, so Jesus claims many times, as, as you read the New Testament with faith, you see that the claim that Jesus was God is, is so prevalent, you have, to, you have to have be an ostrich with your head in the sand to miss it. It's, it's not an intellectual integrity to say that Jesus doesn't make unequivocal claims to be God. Because when he told the Jews, ego ami, before Abraham was, I am, they understood very clearly that Jesus said, I am the God who appeared to Abraham in the burning bush, and the Pharisees did what? They picked up stones to stone him because they knew he, himself a man, made himself to be God. When they take him to this illegal trial that we're about to read about, the very reason that, 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 that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees had Jesus put to death was because he being a man made himself to be God. It's, it's, it's not a, 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 a debate. 
And there's no intellectual integrity in the debate if you take the New Testament and you read it in historical value. It's very clear. Jesus would not have been crucified unless for the fact, there were some other things the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like about him, a lot of things actually. But the very catalyst of why they, they were so persistent was they wanted to kill Jesus for the crime of blasphemy. Because he, being a man, made himself to be God. I shared this with you guys last week, and I think it's important that we, we understand this and we know this. But J- Jesus cannot be, and there's so many different um, ideas about who Jesus is in the world. And you have to get, as a Christ follower, and, and it's a matter of heaven and hell, because you can't say, I believe in Jesus and I have faith, and that's what the Bible says, if you don't have the right Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, and he doesn't know you. And all Satan has to do is move the dial from who Jesus is, the God of heaven, the creator of all things, one degree, and then you're off. If we got on a plane today and we head out for Hawaii and the pilot is one degree off, we're going to miss Hawaii by 400 miles. Degree. And that's all Satan has to do. So lots of people don't have any problem acknowledging Jesus and he was a good prophet, he was a good person. But as soon as you you get into any of that nonsense where he wasn't God, you're playing with your salvation. And then the second part is, that's important, is that God becomes a tyrant if Jesus is not the God of heaven, the creator. Now, we know God to be a triune God, and I don't care how you define it and whether you use the word trinity or or not. You're still very clear biblically that that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, And Jesus can't be a notch below the Father or the Holy Spirit. Because as soon as you make Jesus just the Son of God, now we have a problem because that would take God as the Father. And the example I gave you last week is that if somebody ran in here with a grenade and they threw a grenade here in the middle of the sanctuary and all of you people panicked and you ran for your lives, but not me, I was cool, calm, and collected. And I ran over and I ran to the back and I grabbed my son and I threw him on top of the bomb to save all of your lives, and then we all ran while he blew up. And then we meet out in the lobby, and I'm like so excited. Hey, I just saved all your lives. Ain't I a good father? How would you feel about me as a father if I did that? What does a good father do? A good father does what? He himself jumps on the bomb. And so if, 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 if God and Jesus are not one and both God and both part of the Godhead, and if Jesus himself is not there in the beginning with no beginning and no end, nobody ever created Jesus, he's, he's from outside of time and space dimensions, he's not bound by those things, in the beginning was God and, and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and so Jesus is God and it's the very reason why he's going to be crucified. All right. Now again was the pre-sermon. Hey, so in Matthew chapter 18, I want to draw your attention to verse number 4. John 18, John 18. Did I say something else? We're going to go to Matthew. Just don't trip. I know what I'm saying. Hold a finger in Matthew. We're going there in a minute. But now we're in John 18, verse number 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. Everybody say, knowing all things. What did Jesus know? Okay, so what, what were the all things? Let me ask you that. What were the all things that were coming in Jesus' life? Now, again, we're, we're somewhere around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. Because in the next verse, he's going to be led to Caiaphas' house, Annas' house. And when he lands in Caiaphas' house, he, he would have spent the entire night. And now it's going to tell us very clearly at this point where we are in the story, 6 a.m. 
So he spent that entire night in, in illegal trials in the house of the, of the high priest. So he, and he was arrested in the garden at night because they had torches. So we're somewhere in this area. And it says, what, what did the, all things that it's talking about Jesus knew here? He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that they would put a bag on his head and punch him in the face. They knew that he, they would rip the beard from his side and spit on his face and mock him. He knew that they would strip him naked and whip him 39 times with a cat of nine tails. They knew that the, that the trauma, he knew that the trauma to his face, because Isaiah says that his face was unrecognizable. It was marred beyond vision, the prophet Isaiah tells us about Jesus and his crucifixion. That you wouldn't have been able to see him. You guys seen The Passion of the Christ? Good movie, very hard to watch because of the violence. But I'll tell you, as, as, as much as they tried to help you understand how violent it was, it, it still didn't go far enough. Because the Bible says that he would have been beaten so badly in his face that he couldn't be recognized as a man. And one of the things that happens when you take blunt force trauma to the face is that it black and blues and it swells. I was at the hospital for a person in our church that was hit in the face with a baseball bat. Full on, not, not see it coming, smack in the face with a baseball bat. He looked exactly like Two-Face. Perfect line right down the middle of his face. This side of his face still pretty normal. This side of his face was swollen out to here and black and blue, purple as it comes, and huge. And, and, and for the first time, I experienced in first hand what that trauma can do to somebody. So no doubt when it says that Jesus was marred beyond vision, and, and when they put the bag on his head, the reason why they put the bag on your head is because God has given all of us a flinch or a reflex um, thing to protect yourself. And something in your body changes when you flinch. If I'm going to come and punch you in the face and you see it coming at the last minute, even if you give a little flinch, a little preparation, it softens the blow. We see this in the NFL. When a quarterback gets hit super hard, I mean, big lineman just comes through and wrecks him. Quarterback jumps up, and he's ready to go in the next play. And then you have a hit from a safety on the side, and the quarterback has his back turned, and he doesn't see the blow coming, and he's out for the season. And the difference is he, when you can't see it, you don't prepare. And so that's why they would have made it worse by putting a bag on Jesus' head. Then after they punched him, they took the bag off of his head. They all put their hands out in front of him and said, all right, you claim to be God and king and prophet. Tell us which one of these hands is the one that just punched you. And so knowing all things, let's look at what Jesus does. He's already been in the garden where he prayed, but this is what he does. Knowing all things that would come upon him, Jesus did what? Verse 4. Two words. What? Somebody say again, that preaches. Somebody. He did what? Everybody. He went forward. Come on. He did what? What does God want you to do in life? Go forward. I, that, those two words just boom, jumped off the page. Like, we've already covered this, actually. I'm backing up a little bit. Jesus went forward knowing what was happening. Okay? He knew what was coming, and he went forward. He went into it. He went forward for you because he loves you. He, say, he prayed in the garden three times. If there's any other way that you can be saved, if there's any other way that, that, I, that I can reconcile these people unto God and, and, and give them eternity, heaven and eternity, for all of eternity in heaven with me. But he went forward knowing that he's paying this price because he loves you. If you will, turn with me real quick to Philippians. I want you guys to be familiar with this concept in this verse. And, and Paul tells us, 
in um, Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend, but one thing I do. Everybody say one thing. This is what the Apostle Paul says. The one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, moving forward. Jesus went forward to those things which are ahead. Now, the Apostle Paul says, I don't do anything. Meaning, as a Christ follower, God, unfortunately or fortunately, doesn't give you credit for anything. He does it all in you and for you and through you and by him and for him. And we don't get to take any of God's glory or any of the credit. And there's one thing left, you say, well, uh, that's true, but I had to put my faith in God to become a Christian in the first place, so I should at least get credit for that. And then the Bible says, "Eh, nope, sorry. God says the very faith that you have to walk with him and believe in him, God gave you. So the Bible even takes that away from us. I mean, we got, God's helping us with a pride issue, right? Like, if you want to have pride, the Bible makes it pretty tough because you've got nothing to be proud about. You, you, you didn't die for nobody. You don't have a heaven or a hell to send anybody to. Like, what do, what do you got to be proud of? And the very thing about being a Christian, you can't brag on that because God did that in you anyways, the Bible says. So Paul says, I, I don't do much. God does it all in me and through me by the power of his spirit. But there's one thing, Paul says, one thing. Everybody, one more time, one thing. One thing I have to do. He said, I move forward. I press forward. I look forward. You know, you know this, this is super deep advice, and I mean, I want you guys to catch this. And it's kind of like a cheesy analogy, but it really is profound. When you drive the car of life, you don't do it through the, through the rearview mirrors. You look through the windshield, and that's what the Bible is teaching. That as you're going through life, if you're constantly looking in your rearview mirrors, that's not God's intention or plan for you. Because you know what's in your rearview mirrors? Yuck. That's, just, that's what's in my rearview mirror. Maybe not yours. Maybe it's all roses and daisies. But, you know, mistakes and hurts and, and, and problems and things that we've done to let God down and let ourselves down and let our families down. And, 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 and if we continue to, 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 to let those things prevent us. Now, some of you guys drive really well. I know Rick's got over a million miles under his belt in, in, in driving in his life. And some of you probably as well. But how successful would you be driving if you only could use the rearview mirrors to drive? Yeah, eventually you're going to wreck yourself. Maybe if, if you're really good, you could do it by braille. Da, 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 I don't know. But, but the idea is that we want to drive the car. And so let's go back to John's gospel. I've got about 10 more minutes with you guys this morning, and I want to try to cover some of this. I don't want to be in 18 next week, so let's see what we can do. Let's pick it up where we left off last week in verse number 11. And it says, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now in that cup was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out upon the sins of the world. So God took all of the sin of the world. He put them into a cup and he poured that cup out on Jesus on the the cross. Jesus cried on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so Jesus' death on the cross was God's wrath being poured out on that cup. And, and so Peter, Jesus tells Peter, put your sword away, I'll drink the cup. We talked about last week, Jesus said, I could call 13 billion angels to my side right now. Um, there's not a lack of power here, Peter, I can handle this. 
one angel of the Lord we've seen in the, in the book of Kings. God used one angel of the Lord to fight an army, an, uh, an Assyrian um, army. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, one angel of the Lord. They hit up head to head and 185,000 Syrian soldiers dead and the angel still still fine. Eating a breakfast burrito when it was over. And so there's no lack of power. In verse 12 it says, Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now, multiple times it's going to say here they took Jesus bound. Now I want to ask you, what did they use? Did they use ropes? They, probably, they might have had metal handcuffs in those days. They, they had metallurgy. But what did, what did they hook him with? It doesn't really matter, right? Did those, did those things bind the God of the universe? He wasn't bound by the ropes or the chains. He was bound by his love for you and I. And so it's kind of a joke when they say that they took him bound. It wasn't really necessary. He wasn't going anywhere. And then they led him away to Annas first for the first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Make a note there, John eleven forty nine through 53. We've already studied that here on Sunday mornings. And Caiaphas... The Jews had plotted to kill Jesus, and Caiaphas was telling them, um, it's expedient that one man should die for the nation, and meaning that we'll, we'll use Jesus as a martyr. And then the Bible says that Caiaphas didn't realize it, but he was prophesying the very event that one man would die for the nation, and not only the nation of Israel, but for all of the world. And so this is Caiaphas and Annas, and there was a lot of political um, a mess that was going on in the time in the trial of Jesus in the Roman house, in the Jewish house. So the Jewish government was made up of a 71-person member, Congress, Senate, was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, these two religious groups, and then it was led, there were 70 um, members of, of the Sanhedrin, and then one high priest who was the ruling leader. Now a high priest in Israel, he was not an elected official. He had to be um, a, a, a direct descendant of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And then the high priest would serve for a lifetime. But here we have where it says Annas and Caiaphas. Now, what happened was that, that Rome had come in and, and they didn't like one of these high priests. So they were changing or wanting to ch make a change in the in the in the politics of the Israeli government at the time, and so they chose a different one, and Annas got to choose um, his, his son-in-law, and he picked, and so the Jews recognized still uh, Caiaphas, where actually Annas was the acting high priest, but either way, these two guys, they were the ones that Jesus would have directly affected their business. Twice in Jesus' ministry, he went into the temple there on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and remember what he did, he says one time, he says he made a whip. And he, and he overturned the money changers and he whipped the folks and he kicked them out. And he said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. And my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so what happened was, as we know, during Passover, you would have to bring sacrifices to the temple. But they had to be without spot or blemish. So the high priests at the time, they were racketeering the people who were coming to the temple to worship God. And when they would bring a lamb in, they would, they would, this priest would have to inspect it, and invariably, the priest would say, oh, sorry, it's got a blemish, can't be offered to God. But right over here, we have some pre-approved lambs that um, we've already inspected, and then God will accept those and accept your, your, your offering through these lambs. The problem was they were charging 80 times what a lamb should cost. 
turtle dove on the street for the poor. They could bring turtle doves. It cost a quarter. They were charging 20 bucks for them. And they were just jacking up the price. They were getting rich from this scheme. And people would have to do it. People would be traveled. They would have raised that lamb hundreds of miles away and traveled to, to the pa- Jerusalem for Passover, get there, and then they can't use the lamb they have. And so Jesus went in, and he, and he overturned the money changers and the tables. And so Annas and Caiaphas um, were very motivated to get rid of Jesus. He was affecting their pocketbook. And then it says in verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and did, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Now I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling this is John. John oftentimes in his own Gospels talks of himself this way. He just said two of the disciples, when, when they were in the garden... Um, Jesus had already prophesied and told the disciples, all of you will stumble because of me this night and you will be scattered, um, you'll be scattered abroad. And that's exactly what happened. When the soldiers came and they arrested Jesus, the disciples scattered. But, but Peter and one other disciple unnamed, who I believe to be John, they followed Jesus, but it says um, they followed Jesus, uh, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And then the disciple who somehow was known to the high priest. And it's possible that John and, um, was a fisherman and, and they would have sold, sold fish. And maybe John had some business dealings before he met Jesus and he had to sell fish to the high priest. And so they knew who he was and he got a kind of inside scoop on this, this night and this trial. Um, but it doesn't say who his name is again. I'm, I'm assuming it's John here. And so, but Peter, it says that he followed at a distance. And that was in the scripture today, and that's why when we started service and and, in the prayer that I prayed, I encouraged us not to follow God at a distance. Because we're going to see here where where Peter is going to go through one of his um, biggest defeats in his life. Peter's life, Peter is a disciple of Christ. And I I love Peter, I really do. And I want to be careful because I'm going to meet him someday, right? I I think there's going to be a long line of pastors in heaven, like, waiting in line. Like, what's that line for? Oh, Peter's up there. We all got to apologize for all the stuff we said about him, (laughs) you know. And I don't know, maybe Peter's passing out some punches when you get in line, you know, for some of us. Or, yeah, he'll probably forgive us. Um, but, but Peter's easy to bag on. He's easy to pick on because he made some big mistakes. But one of the things that, as, as with much of the disciples, and even as with me or with you, there's certain things that are high points and low points in our lives, right? And Peter had some high highs. I mean, Jesus said of him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. I mean, that was a crowning moment for Peter and, and just such a high point in his, in his life where he just got it right. And he just nailed it that day. But this particular day, he's not going to nail it. He's going to make a big mistake. It's going to end up causing Peter to weep bitterly um, for his own failure. But his failure can be defined, and you can see the steps that led into Peter's failure. And what we see here is the first one is that he followed Jesus at a distance. You never can follow Jesus at a distance. Is that you in here today? And if you're being honest with yourself, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or confess. I'm asking you, are you following Jesus at a distance? And I just want to tell you, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. You know, it's, it's easy to understand that if you have one foot in the world and one foot in church, you're not going to be happy. You can't be happy with one foot in the world because the foot in the, the church is making that one uncomfortable and, and vice versa. You have a foot in the, in the church and, and a foot in the world that doesn't work. If you want enough of Jesus so you can go to heaven, but you don't want enough of Jesus so that he becomes the Lord of your life, you're going to find yourself missing out on the blessings that God has for you, the promises that God has for you in life. 
And God has called you. God has called me to, to fully surrender our hearts and lives to him. Now there's grace. The grace of God says to you today, no matter where you are, and if you're somebody and I just asked you if you're following God at a distance, and you said, yeah, that's probably me. Listen, it's not to condemn you. God doesn't, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's, it's only love. And Jesus says, hey, I love you. I know, but I'm following you in a distance, but I love you. I know, but I'm just a half-stepper, but I love you anyways. But you don't like me. Yeah, I do. I like you too. <laughs> and listen, God loves you, but he is calling you. And if you want to experience the blessings that God has in your life, give it all to him. Surrender it all to him. Give your life to him. And Jesus was pretty clear. To be a disciple of mine, the cost is everything. There's no half-stepping. And Peter's going to make this mistake. The second thing we're going to see Peter doing here is Peter was warming himself by the enemy's fires. What is, what is an enemy's fire in your life? You know, it's a couple epidemics in the church today in America. Christian church, pornography, men using pornography in the church. The percentage is pretty high. It's a big struggle for us in the church. We've got to deal with those things. We've got we to we ask God to, to heal us and take those things from us. We've got to be on our guard from those things. Marijuana today, it's a big deal. A lot, a lot of folks, a lot of Christians want to say that, oh, it's legal now, it's not sinful, it's, 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 you know, it is what it is. What do you think? God approve of it? Jesus says smoke a doobie with you? People say those things. I don't know, I see it as pharmacia and very dangerous for the church. And a huge compromise for people's lives. You know, maybe we could get into certain extreme cases, people that really, you know, um, are, are dying of cancer or have problems that, that, that want to use it medicinally. That's a different issue. But, but to use it socially, it's a mind-altering drug, and the Bible describes that as pharmacia and dangerous for us as Christians, and we're going to stay away from that stuff. And, and, and the thing is, but we're compromising. We're, we're, we're saying, oh, you know, we can, em- we can warm ourselves by the enemy's fire. And I just picked on one. What is yours? I don't know what yours is. What is what 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 of uh, Satan has or the world offers that we find comfort in? And those things are warming ourselves at the enemy's fire. And 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 Peter here, he's first following at a distance. Following at a distance is going to lead to warming yourself in the enemy's fires. And so stop making compromises on those things. And um, we're just going to keep going because I'm going to finish. So I'm not going to count all the time we wasted on it. Well, not wasted. Sorry. <laughs> Wasted. I wasted time on a baby dedication. No. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm kidding. That's why I had to like back up the word wasted when I said 